I'd like to turn our uh, turn your Bibles over to James chapter one. Our pastor was away um, a couple of weeks actually, and I started a series through James. I'd like to actually preach one of those uh, messages here. It's a I think great benefit. Uh, I used to have a Bible college professor that used to her. As a lady who's in the music department, uh, used to her favorite phrase was, "If you throw mud at a wall long enough, eventually some of it will stick." Uh, and sometimes preaching the word of God is that way, uh, only because we're stubborn and stiff-necked. Uh, so to the Lord to work. Let me read the first four verses uh, here in James chapter one. It says, "James, a servant of God." and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That word wanting is, uh, means to lack uh, something, in this case, is nothing, and I entitled this message, Lacking Nothing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, the day that you've given us. We thank you for another opportunity to be in your word. We do pray that you be with Pastor Byler and his wife. Is there a way that you give them time of uh, refreshing, uh, that you would watch over them, that you'd bring them back here safely? Uh, we thank you, dear Lord, for the opportunity to open your word again. I pray that you'd give us the words that would uh, meet the needs of all of our hearts. I pray, dear Lord, you'd help us to be attentive to the word of God today, that it may work and accomplish its will for us, for, or your will for us in our life today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, first verse here is kind of the introductory verse uh, to this whole book when it says, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So he's writing to saved Jews, um, uh, Christians, those that have believed. Uh, and because of that, it, this book applies to us too. Uh, as Christians today, the, the truths that we can find in here are truths that are greatly needed in our lives. Uh, Martin Luther used to call the book of James a straw man's argument because the book of James talks a lot about works. It talks a lot about things that we ought to have in our lives, things we ought to do in our lives. And as we heard in Sunday school this morning, we do not believe in a work salvation. We do not believe that you can work your way to heaven, that there are certain things you can do uh, and, 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 you're, and you're there. We believe that there has to be repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross of Calvary for the salvation of our souls. There's no other way to heaven other than through the blood, shed blood of Jesus Christ and, and, and acknowledgement that we're lost and undone apart from His saving grace in our lives. But having said that, you cannot have a salvation that does not work. Uh, if you have a profession of salvation that is not followed by works, doing things that the Bible says to do, living what the Bible says to live out in your life, 
So there needs to be an examination of whether the, what we have as professional salvation is actually true or not. In the book, in the book of James, uh, as, as we go through this, uh, we're going to find you know, different places where there's things in our life that ought to be present. Uh, if they're not present, then we uh, ought to examine our lives. As we look at this first four verses here, we know that James, again, is writing to Christians. James declares himself to be a servant of God, and he's going to lay out really what it means in our life to be servants of God. Uh, and it says, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's always been, well, I don't know about always, but in my lifetime there's been a debate about what people call lordship salvation. Uh, we need to understand if we're truly saved, the Lord will be the Lord of our lives. Um, and if he's not, then what, our, what we profess to have sal- be of salvation is really not. So the Lord is going to be Lord of our lives. James declares that to be the case, that he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's greeting these people and beginning to speak to them about certain needs in their lives. And these first four verses, what we're going to find here is that uh, and he lays this out, that trials will come uh, in our lives. Uh, you're probably, as I say that, you're probably sitting here thinking of a trial that you've recently had, or you very well may be in the midst of a trial right now. But trials will come. And if we handle them correctly, those trials, God will make us complete in Him, lacking nothing needed to live a life pleasing to him and, I, and I, thus the title lacking nothing I hope that's the desire of our lives today that we would lack nothing uh, uh, in our lives to be able to carry out God's will for our lives at this time and the reason I say this time is because we're in a, hopefully in the will of God now the will of God for our lives may change not salvation or anything but the things he'd have us to do maybe the places he'd have us to go but for, your, for our lives at this time, trials can work to make us complete, lacking nothing in order to please Him. There is a purpose in trial. The first thing I want to look here is the presence of trials. Verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. First thing I want to acknowledge here is that in trials, now the, the, I, I'm not saying this is easy, okay, but in trials there ought to be joy. The joy to be had in trials. It says there that we are to count it all joy. That is not a, a just is it going to happen? It, it is a deliberate choice. That in the midst of trials, we're going to walk in the joy of the Lord. You say, how is that possible? Well, I'm going to give you an example. Uh, a couple in our church, as you guys know, that have been through a tremendous tr- trial. They've got a child that is, is he a year yet? Getting close. Uh, that has... Uh, Needed a liver transplant. 
So he's been in and out of the hospital. About a week ago, he was in the hospital for about a week again. Uh, he, he's had the liver transplant, but there's always the struggle of rejection and that, that type thing. My point is this. It's been a major trial in their lives. My wife and I have had the opportunity to help you know, serve, hopefully, and meet some of the needs in their life. We've been by the hospital. And you walk in that hospital room, and you can know the joy of the Lord in the midst of trials. You walk in that hospital room, the first thing you notice is that there's pictures of their family and Bible verses praising the Lord on the wall. Uh, not, that's just one thing. You walk in, you don't normally walk in the hospital room seeing that. When you walk in the hospital room, you see that, but the, that's, that's not the thing that stands out. What, what stands out is the countenance that those two people have. In the midst of an unbelievable trial, I have never seen them down. I mean, down as in depressed about it. I've seen them have the joy of the Lord in their lives. You can walk into a room uh, when there's uh, great difficulty going on and know that they were walking with God. So much so that a social worker assigned to the team uh, question whether there was something wrong with the lady of the partner because she wasn't handling it like everybody else handles it. <laughs> the reason being is they know the living God that can meet every need of their lives and then walk in joy because of it. And that's what he's telling us here. That when that trial comes, we need to count it all joy. And there's some verses that talk about that. Psalm 1611 says this. By the way, this is one of the favorite verses of our pastor. He says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. That's, that's a, the good desire of our lives. In, the pre, in thy presence, in the presence of God, is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's saying there that when we walk in the presence of God, we can have fullness of joy. doesn't matter what the circumstances are doesn't matter how difficult life is. It doesn't matter what it is we're facing. We can make the determination to count it all joy and experience and walk with our God and know the fullness of joy in our lives, even in the midst of trials. That's the context here. Psalm verse uh, 27, verses 5 and 6 say this, For in the time of trouble... He shall hide me in his pavilion. This is David. David at this time is having all kind of trouble. Saul's after him. He's on the run. He's got, he can't be at home where he's comfortable. He's living in caves. <laughs> he's got problems. It says, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up on a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. And again, the context there is he's in the midst of trouble. He's not easy. It's a trial in his life. He said so much in verse 5. But he also said that he can find... Uh, comfort in hiding in the pavilion of God. 
where God can place him upon a rock when, when life seems to have tossed everything up in the air. He's saying, listen, I can walk on the firmness of the rock. And he said the enemies that are after him, he can lift his head up and he can offer sacrifices of joy. He can have joy in his life. He can sing. He can praise the Lord in the midst of trial and trouble. Now, if you've come out of trial and you followed biblical principles, you know this is true. If you're in the midst of trial, and by the way, we're going to see in a minute, trials can come in many forms. But whatever trial comes, we need to determine and make a deliberate choice to walk in the joy of the Lord. And then he says this, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Now, there's another passage which uh, we may look at tonight. Uh, it was in the Lord's direction. There in verse 12 where temptation is talking about temptation to sin. Uh, this temptation is a temptation of tr- is trial. It's, this is not a temptation to sin. You, you say, why do you say that? Because verse 3 says this, Knowing this, that the trying, the trial of your faith worketh patience. Temptation to sin uh, is not what's going on here. It's a trial of our souls. It's a, it's a trying time in our lives. And it has a purpose. But the thing to note there is it says we can fall into diverse temptations or diverse trials. What does it mean by diverse? Well, I'll give you an example. Genesis chapter 37 verse 3 says this. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Or you could say diverse colors. I don't know what primary thing. I always picture, I talk to my wife about primary colors. I always picture that coat being primary colors. Greens and yellows and reds. But I have no idea. It was multicolored. It was different. It was patched worked together. And he says that coat was, uh, was, uh, there was made for David. Had many colors, diverse colors. It's kind of an example. It's, it's not just one color. It's patched together, multitude of colors. And then another example, Matthew chapter 4, verse 24 says this. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people, that were taken with, word right here, divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those which had palsy, and he healed them. He said there are divers diseases uh, and, it, and torments. We could think of the many times that we've been sick or di- different struggles that we've had physically and, and, and all those things, desire, uh, divers diseases. And he go, even goes on and lists those that were possessed with devils, those that were lunatic, those that had palsy, that's a physical uh, uh, problem. He said he healed them. So the, the vastness of the possibilities of diseases, diverse diseases, Christ healed them all. 
So we have divers there. And another example is in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And it says this, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and divers miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. So you have that term there, divers miracles. And if you go back and, and, and read uh, uh, the gospel accounts, you'll find that there were a multitude of different miracles that Christ performed. His first one there was turning water into wine. And then he healed the sick. He calmed the sea. If you remember him being down in a, uh, the, the belly of a ship, disciples are out being tossed to and fro. It's not like being on a sea tossed to and fro with a uh, big like cruise ship or an aircraft carrier. These weren't that kind of boats. These were boats uh, tossed to and fro. They're scared to death. They wake him up. And his statement then was, O ye of little faith. And he stood up and calmed the sea. Now you imagine that sea being tossed to and, bow, to and fro. He, he says his uh, command, and it's like a sheet of glass. It's calm. They'd been around him in some miracles, and they were amazed when this happened. But it's one of the divers' miracles that he had uh, there. And so when we have this uh, term here in, the, in verse 2 when it says, when ye fall into divers' temptation, divers' trials. Trials can come in our lives in a multitude of ways. They can be physical difficulties. They can be emotional struggles sometimes. They can be... Uh, the trials we go through with loved ones. I mean, we could go on and on and on about the possibilities of trials. You could think in your own life the multitude of trials and struggles that you've had. And he's saying that, that listen, when we fall into that diver's uh, uh, trials, then we need to count it all joy, no matter what kind of trial we're going through. And, and, and trials are different for different people. But whatever it is, we're to count it all joy. Commentator I read said this, Most people count it all joy when they escape trials. James said to count it all joy in the midst of trials. Now, I preface this by saying I... I'm not saying it's easy. And we're not going to do it by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're going to do it in dependence on the working of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and in obedience to His Word. No matter how difficult it may be, no matter what the trials, we count it joy amidst the, the, the divers trials and temptations, or the temptation of trial. Trials are many and diverse in life. You can think of the trials you've faced so far. We do not know what tomorrow holds or what trial may come. But we serve a God who does. 
And when those things are allowed in our lives, they're there for a purpose. So we've looked at the presence of trials. Let's look at the purpose of trials. Verse 3 says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Trial of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We have faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ. None of us were there to see that happen. The Bible talks about the return of Jesus Christ to this earth to call us to heaven. And then it later talks about Him coming down physically on the ground, set up a kingdom on this earth. We can't see that right now with our physical eye. That's where faith is involved. Our faith is based on the promises of this book. It's shown itself true. It's shown itself faithful. And that passage there in Hebrews says, faith is a substance. It's a spiritual entity that we can grab hold of. It says it's things hoped for. Listen, this Bible is not a book where we hope that what it says will happen. But it may not. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a hope that is an earnest expectation that the Bible says it's going to take place and though I've not seen it, I can earnestly expect it to happen. He said that's faith. That's the evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Our faith Now, we have the faith of salvation where our souls can be saved and the shed blood of Christ can be put over our sin. And we can have, as we heard in Sunday school today, we can have an eternal rest in Him. But that faith and our faith in the Word of God and the earnest expectation of those things can grow throughout our walk with the Lord on this earth. And oftentimes, that faith grows because of trials that we face. And it says there, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Do you know your faith will be tried? It may be difficult. That hope, that the substance that you've grabbed hold of, Based on the promises of scriptures and the earnest expectations it's going to have, will be tried. Now, I stated at the beginning of this that trials will become, and if we handle them correctly, then we can have a complete, entire development of the purpose of God in our lives so that we lack nothing. So when, that, when your faith is tried, what are you going to do? Are you going to question the Lord? Are you going to depend upon your own understanding? 
Are you going to try to find your solutions uh, in, in the uh, philosophy and the counsels of this world? Now, there's not a thing wrong with going to somebody who's shown themselves faithful as an example and ask them, hey, how do I handle this? And if they're uh, living a life that is right, which you can tell by their, their testimony, they're not going to give you their opinion about what ought to happen. They're going to point you right back to the Word of God. And they're going to be able to uh, take you to passages or something from a struggle of their own life and say, listen, if you'll do these things, the Lord will work in your life. But our faith will be tried. But the purpose of that is not to you know, be some groundbreaking shaking in our life to throw everything up in the air. We're to count it joy and let the trials of the Lord work their purpose. And their purpose here is patience. Now, I've heard this often said. Don't pray for patience because you don't know what the Lord's going to do to bring it about. Praying for patience is not a bad prayer. But I'm going to tell you this. Whether you pray for patience or not, when the Lord determines you need some, there's going to be trials that come. And, there, and it says there, it's going to try your faith which worketh patience. Noah Webster's, uh, what is it, 1828, somewhere in his old version of the uh, dictionary says this, talking about patience. The suffering of afflictions, pain, toil, calamity, provocation, or other evil. So these, he's starting it off by this definition. Basically, trials. Afflictions. Pain, toil, calamity. Those all uh, definitions or, or words that can be used for trials that come to life. Provocation, and then he says this, and other evil, whatever it happens to be. He says you do that with a calm, unruffled temper, endurance without murmuring or fretfulness. Patience may spring from constitutional fortitude from a kind of heroic pride, or, and this is where the definition comes into us, and from Christian submission to the divine will. So he's saying there that as trials come, and he explains what they are, patience is handling that trial with a calm, reassured living before God, not murmuring and not fretful. Why? Because we know God's in control. I, I may be out of control in some sense, but God has it all in control. And so no matter what the trial is or how difficult that trial may seem, it will work. As our faith is, is put through the fire, so to speak, It'll work in our life to bring about patience. It'll bring about the ability to be able to calmly. This is another phrase here, without murmuring. See, one of the dangers of trials that come, if we're not walking with the Lord, is to complain and to murmur. 
We can go back to the Old Testament and see what God did with the nation of Israel when they complained and murmured. So, so we're doing this without complaining or murmuring because we're turning it over to the Lord and we're going to be submitted to whatever His will is for our lives. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says this, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation, this is trials, worketh patience. Now that passage goes on and talks about other things that can be added to patience. But it, it, th- those trials that come, even in that passage, the first thing it lists is it worketh patience. It worketh the ability to walk in the presence of God with a calm, reassured uh, comfort to know that God's in control. And in there, when we recognize that, it becomes a lot easier to make a deliberate choice to walk in the joy of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 says this, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. Afflictions. That's when the trials are painful. Now, Paul had some painful trials. It says there, in necessities. There's going to be times in our lives when our faith's tried and, there, and we have need. We actually have spiritual need in our lives. And God's working to meet those needs and to, and to help us to grow. He says our distresses, tri- the trials, I mean, when we go through it, it can be a time of great distress in our lives. But he says those things, ought not to throw our lives in a tizzy. It ought to develop in our lives a calm, reassured dependence upon God that allows the joy of the Lord to abide in our lives and have that trial work its purpose. So the purpose of that trial is really to work, uh, bring about patience. What's the result of trials? What's the ultimate result of trials? If we, if, we, if we let those trials come in our lives and we're obedient to the word of God, what is the purpose of that trial? Well, the first thing we see is it ought to work in our lives to make us perfect and entire. Look at verse 4. It says, but let patience have her work. So trial, trying of our faith, walking in joy, Working patience, and that patience is to have her perfect work. What does that word perfect mean? It's not the idea that we're going to be sinless or or, or anything like that. It's just the idea that we're going to be complete. And it says there, let patience have her complete work. So when we're working on patience, we're calmly walking reassured, the joy of the Lord in trial. We're not letting it take over our lives. We're not letting it get to the point where we're, we're trying to solve it on our own and, and not knowing what to do uh, and, and that type thing. We're turning it over to Him. Faith, the trying of our faith, and we're letting patience have the complete work that God's desiring in our lives 
for that trial. Now, by the way, we never know how long that trial is going to last. It may be a trial of a day. It may be a trial, as an example from a couple from church, that's lasted going on nine, ten months. And, 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 you know, the Lord's working, they're walking. I mean, there's a chance it could go on longer than that. But the thing about it is, just because we know the beginning of that trial, and we don't know what the end of that trial is, we do know what the purpose of that trial is. And we know that as we walk in patience, ultimately we'll let that, and we, and we continue in that, ultimately we'll let patience complete her work. What is that complete work? That we may be perfect and entire. And we said again, perfect is complete. And he kind of reemphasizes it here. He says, we're going to be complete and entire. Whole, complete, whole at, at that moment in our lives to carry out the will of God. To walk after Him. To, to be submitted to the, as we said before, to the divine will. Uh, to be perfect and complete, entire, to accomplish the will of God at this time in my life. There, there may be come another time where we need to grow in our understanding of the will of God and trials will come. He said that we may be perfect and entire. Again, Noah Webster defines perfect as this. Finished, complete, consummate, not defective, having all that is requisite to its nature and kind as a perfect statue, a perfect likeness, a perfect work, or a perfect system, a complete system. Complete and entire. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says this, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Who's writing that? Paul. Now, there's no explicit indication is exactly what Paul was praying for. Prior to this, he talked about he prayed three times for it. There's an indication that it was a physical abnormality. It could have been his eyesight. It could have been some other physical abnormality. But he went to the Lord three times to ask to be delivered from it. And the Lord didn't. Did Paul grow bitter with God? Did he get to the point where he just was trying to lean on his understanding to solve whatever problem he had? Did he go to the, the greatest local physician to, to get, the, get him to solve that problem? And by the way, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor when you need to. The point is this. When God answered that prayer, and, and, and the answer was, no, I'm not taking it away. Paul's, and by the way, you've got a physical abnormality like that. It could be a trial. And apparently it was an ongoing thing in his life. His response was this. My grace. This is God speaking to him. I'm not going to take it away. 
but my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect or complete in weakness. This abnormality that I have, this physical struggle that I have, is, is, is I'm weak, but your grace is, is going to work in me for strength. He says, because of that, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. You're not going to take them away. Your grace is going to make me strong in my weakness. Well, I'm going to praise you for it, and I am gladly going to walk in it, and I'm going to glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon him. That he may walk in the power of Christ. He would rather have that physical abnormality in the will of God and have the grace of God work in his life to have the power of God on him in the midst of a trial that he was trying to get delivered from. It worked in his life. It says his strength is made perfect, complete in weakness. And sometimes that's what trials point out to us, that we're weak, that I can't do it myself. And it's only by the grace and the power of Christ that I'm going to, to bear through this, counting it all joy, having the patience of God work out in my life. Colossians chapter 4 verse 12 says this, Epaphras, who was one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may be perfect and complete in the will of God. What was his desire? Perfect and complete in the will of God. So trials come, diverse trials. And we have patience to go through it, and patience is working perfectly in our lives, completely in our lives to make us complete and entire. Ultimately, when we allow trials to, to accomplish His work in our lives, we get to the end of verse 4. Wanting nothing. Not lacking anything in our lives at this time to carry out the perfect will of God. Titus chapter 1 verse 5 says this, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order things that are wanting, things that are lacking, and ordain elders in every city as I wanted to appoint them. That's the, that's the idea of what that want is. They lack something. Paul or had appointed um, uh, Titus there to go to Crete and to set in order things in, in that uh, church that were lacking. Here, because of trials, it's not that we're lacking, it's that we're lacking nothing. That trials worked in my life and in our lives to make us perfect and complete to the point that we at this time in our life lack nothing to carry out the will of God and to walk with Him. That's what trials are for. And as we have those needs in our lives, God will work it out. Now, let me say this. If you have trials in your life, you're not walking in patience, and it's throwing your world upside down, and you can't seem to get it straightened out, it's time to examine our salvation. When we repent of sin and put our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary, His death, burial, resurrection, 
for the saving of our souls, having his blood applied to our lives, to have forgiveness. That's the basis that our faith can be tried. That's the basis that we can develop patience, the basis that we can be perfect and complete, lacking nothing to carry out the will of God in our lives. And the question is, what do you do, what do I do, when trials come? They will come. How do you handle them? How will I handle them? Will I allow my faith to be tried patiently so that that can work out in my life so that I can be perfect and entire, complete, and lacking nothing so that I can serve God and be found pleasing in His sight? They will be diverse. They will come, but they're there for a purpose.